This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ of the Eucharist and serve him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Uh, we talk about going outside the walls. We talk about um, being active as missionary disciples, but this comes with risk. And, uh, and it seems that we, as humans, as our institutions uh, in the church, we are risk-averse. Uh, and I, uh, I had a conversation with someone a few years ago who said it's really hard to be forward-thinking, to have a vision for the future, to be missionary disciples when you are in the process of trying to avoid risk. If we're constantly on guard and looking out for, for our own benefit or for our own safety, it's hard to follow Christ out of the boat and outside of the walls. Uh, that conversation that I had was with uh, Tony Vicinda, who we are talking to today, just kind of trying to dig into this a little bit deeper, uh, specifically along a, a line of when self-protection gets in the way of being an authentic witness in the world. Tony, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, it's good to be here. So I've seen a lot of conversations recently um, that that have given me pause, conversations about uh, protecting our institutions, about re- supporting and protecting religious liberty. Um, and these are important things, but very often if those become our pursuit, we lose light of, of the gospel call uh, we see in Matthew 16, 25, where Jesus said, for whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It seems that the more often we focus on uh, on our own protection, uh, the more quickly we lose our, uh, our valuable witness to society. Uh, I'm a big believer in radical hospitality, and it's hard to be radically hospitable when you're worried about what's in your pantry. It's hard to focus on willing the good of the other and making someone else's life easier when we're worried about how that might affect our lives and whether that makes our lives more difficult. Yeah, I think there's there's kind of two main aspects that we see this kind of in we see this through the lens of in the church today and that is both the material aspect which I think we both easily dismiss, but is also kind of usually our first barrier. Like we are, are very, it's very easy to be like, okay, like, look, I don't, I don't know what food I have. Right. Well, then we, we kind of figure out a way, maybe, okay, maybe we, we don't do something with food. We do something else. Like we can always find ways to be materially creative. And most people can get over that hurdle, even if it's by addressing things in a different way. We won't kind of set that one aside and come back to it. The other one is um, the risk of being put to the outside with those you are trying to serve. And this is, I think, the the greater of the two temptations to um, to not do this, to not to not engage in making other people's lives easier because um, we might all of a sudden find ourselves associating with people who are, are, I mean, believe it or not, like sinners or people who are not aligned with Jesus's beatific vision for the world, but who are the people that Jesus came to save uh, and who he challenges us to go out to. But for whatever reason, the institution has become um, uh, kind of uh, 
cold to and and sometimes even outright hostile to and figuring out how all those things interplay. And that's, I think, a lot of times the more challenging, but but people don't think about it. Of course, we want to go out and, and evangelize the world. I, I think we all love the idea of, of the church going out and being present to people in a very abstract sense. And so that one never mentally do we bump up against it. We just don't ever do it. I think those are two kind of of the major challenges that we see to a lot of this is can I do this materially? And that's easy and concrete and we'll, we can find a way around, but it's the first thing we bump up against. And the other one is, will I actually go and be with people who are different than me, who are not like me, but who are still people that God loves? And are we willing to risk to be with them and to be seen with them? And I think that is where we more often fall down. I think um, so, I think there's a third category too. Um, yeah. A couple of weeks ago in the in the gospel, we had the story of uh, a couple of disciples who were coming to Christ, and one of them said, "Let me go and and bury my father first. And Jesus said, "Let the dead bury the dead. You come follow me." Right? Um, we have this sense of I want to serve. I want to follow Christ. I want to serve my neighbor. But first, I've got to get some things in my own house in order. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have, and this is where it. I think the the fallacy comes in. I have some things that have to be taken care of before I can follow Jesus that I have to do rather than trusting in that divine providence that, that by following, as Jesus said in the sermon on the Mount, all of these other things will be added to you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And like, I think that one can fall into either of those two categories. I think that's a lens that it comes through. And like I said, it may be a third category on its own, but I think oftentimes there is a sense of we're just waiting for something to happen before we make the choice to follow through and doing all the things that we know God is asking us for. So, you know, when it it comes to to opening up our home, um, you know, my wife and I have very different opinions on what that might look like to do it radically. To me, it looks like, hey, the laundry isn't always folded and put away before people come over. And in her in her mindset, like that is an imposition to hospitality because then you're you're not inviting people into your best space. And for me, it's it might be, but it's also an invitation to intimacy of like I value you being here enough to be folding the laundry while I'm having this conversation with you, right? Um, to be to be in the process of doing all the things that need to be done for my house or setting them aside and just naming like being with you is more important right now. Um, you know, and like where we landed is essentially like the front porch is great open space, <laughs> like, uh, you know, for when the laundry isn't done. And so there's, there's a lot of ways that this kind of manifests itself. But I think that some of the other ones are like, you know, hey, um, you know, I, I'll talk to, to young men on a regular basis who feel like before they can pursue whatever vocation that God has put in front of them, uh, besides the universal vocation to love, that they feel like there are certain ducks they need to get in a row. Like, well, I kind of want to discern the priesthood, but I feel like I should get through my undergrad first. Or, hey, I really want to get married, but I feel like I should buy a house and have a set, you know, like six-figure job before I get married. Both of which sound generally like a good idea until you kind of start to dig and to pick into them. Like, well, part of the growth and formation of entering the priesthood at a a collegiate age is the formation that you're going to get in your undergrad and and pre-theology program. Uh, You can be discerning now. And if you decide that the answer is, well, I'm not called to be a priest, you're still going to have gone through the same type of collegiate formation. If you are thinking about getting married, 
you know, in discerning that vocation, it's not about, you know, putting out the right bait to attract, you know, the perfect spouse. The, the beauty of being married is getting to go on that journey and establish yourselves together to find that house together to discern where you're going to be together. Like that's a lot of, that's a lot of the journey that you're seeking to go on as spouses. And so there, there are these simple things that we oftentimes think, oh, I need to do this bigger, this other thing first before I can do that, which is a lot of times just a way to delay what we think God desires for us. Um, and usually doesn't actually require us to not be doing the thing we feel like we should be doing. What would be like Jesus coming to the um, the disciples and say, come follow me. He's like, oh yeah, yeah. I absolutely, totally, Jesus, this is a great idea. I'm absolutely going to follow you. And this is the way I'm going to follow you. Here are the things that I need to do. I'm going to set out right. my five-year plan. I'm going to, and he's like, no, I just want you to drop what you're doing right now. Drop your nets, drop whatever else you have and just start walking. Right. Right. Come follow me in this moment, not in your five-year plan. Yeah, it's it's the distance difference between what God wants for us and what God wants from us. We're constantly obsessed with what we think God wants from us. Um, and the answer to that is actually just like not a lot. Like he doesn't actually expect anything from us. What he desires for us is for us to receive his love. Uh, for us to receive his vision for our life, for us to receive the grace that he offers us beyond all understanding. A lot of a lot of the things that we mistake as thinking about discernment, we're really spending our time thinking about what we want and if that fits into God's will, rather than what does God desire for me, and how am I transforming my life to live around that? Um, and. And I don't think currently in Catholic institutions, we do any kind of good job of modeling this at all. We oftentimes think about the ministries that we have to accomplish um, rather than the things that God desires for the local community and then leveraging what we do around making those things happen. Now, Tony, you've been involved in ministry at a number of different levels. Uh, you've been in parish ministry. You've trained youth ministers uh, through your your Project YM. You've got the Catholic Beard Balm at catholicbalm.co that funds ministry. But recently, uh, you took a, a radical step of stepping back from, from what you knew from that church ministry and that institutional kind of ministry and into a very localized, community-based ministry, moving across the country, going to, uh, to the Philadelphia area, mm-hmm. to be on the ground in community in a radical way. What does that kind of following look like when in that discernment to say, I'm going to shift everything in my life and just see where the chips may fall? Yeah, I mean, um, and to be 100% transparent, like, yeah, so we moved here. The goal was to start doing neighboring ministry. Uh, we got here. We started getting to know our neighbors a little bit. And then the world shut down, right. uh, which in some ways your neighbors became even more important. And in other ways, um, no one left their home. So it was really hard to be like, you want to come over for dinner sometime? Do you want to, right. you know, that, that became much more challenging in so many ways. Um, so really, um, the the work that we were doing there, it was interesting to throw that out, to say, to discern, to think, to say, God, is this your will? Is this your plan for us? To get consistent consolation around leaving, desolation around staying. Like there, there was a lot that went into that. And then interestingly, to find yourself in the position of you've gone to do that thing and all of a sudden the world flips around and everything falls out from underneath you. 
and then asking your, you know, being able to actually kind of root that back into, okay, well, the good thing is um, this wasn't just about my vision for something like, and this has happened to me a few times in major discernment, almost always involving a move across the country, but not, not exclusively that um, where I feel in discernment that God is calling me to a very specific thing. And then when I get there, you realize the shape of that thing is not what you humanly thought it was, but that God has other things in store around that. And I think that's one of the, the, the biggest things I would say about any of this is, you know, part of learning to um, to take those leaps of faith, to to step out and to do what you can to risk to make other people's lives easier is to not necessarily consider what that looks like, but surely to put yourself in a position of willingness to do it. Um, you know, Dave Van Bickle uh, and a number of other people from the, the Forming Intentional Disciples community will oftentimes talk about like praying for divine appointments that day, you know, divine appointment meaning, uh, can I meet someone who I can introduce to the gospel today or meet somebody who I can, I can serve today? Can I, can I, well, God, will you please just put people in my path um, that help me share and let me share your kingdom with them in some way, shape or form? Um, and praying for that isn't saying, God, will you bring Brenda to the coffee shop at 2 PM? Right. Um, if you do that and, and your day is built around Brenda showing up at 2 PM and all of a sudden, you know, someone else walks in at, at 1 and wants to talk to you well, you're going to be so focused on Brenda, you're not going to be able to serve them. That's not to dismiss Brenda or Brenda's importance. It's just to say, God has may, may have actually have wanted you to serve that other individual. That may not be why you were there. And so how we just open ourselves up to this action without putting too much around it on the human side is, I think, the number one challenge. Because there's no way we could have planned for a global pandemic. There's no way we could have planned for what that would do to the infrastructure, how that would challenge us, um, and even some of the the amazingly positive shifts that have happened in that. We've gotten to know our neighbors better. I could, I could tell you the names of all the neighbors on every single side of us, except for one who refuses to make any kind of eye contact, uh, regardless of numerous attempts to do it, and that's fine. Um, we know neighbors up and down our street, people from our parish, but also people who aren't from our parish community. Um, we will take them freshly baked bread. They will drop off pulled pork. Their dogs will run away from their house and come up and sneak and sit on the porch with us while we're outside until <laughs> their owners come to find them and who will then have 25 to 30 minute conversations with about just what we've been up to, um, you know, uh, throughout the course of the day. You know, there's, there's all these different things that we do to kind of create this sense, but it's, it's a constant shifting, not of vision or not of ability or not of desire, but just in saying like, Hey, we are not going to say, this is what it has to look like for us to feel successful. We want to be open to what God is doing for us. And there's been some other capacities that have opened up around that, that we wouldn't have anticipated. It's again, it's not saying don't have a vision. It's saying discern what God's vision is. Identify the core reality of that vision. Identify the core of what you want to be doing. And then letting go of the questions about what's in the cupboard or is the laundry done or, um, you know, what exactly does it look like to work with the diocese? Because the staff there may change all of a sudden and you may be working with entirely different people and they may have a very different vision for how they see uh, working with your ministry happening. And so like all those things are things we've navigated over the course of the last year um, and, or two years. And, but they've all been beautiful things in the end that have opened up new possibilities we couldn't have imagined. You know, we, um, 
we hear make, uh, this is a phrase that I've been using with my children. Um, this make other people's lives easier. It's just a, a way to try and get them to empathize and to get out of themselves. But I think it fits really well in, in our call to, to Christian discipleship, to go out and, and make other people's lives easier, even if it makes our lives harder. And I think that the temptation is to look at this as if it's just um, like pay it forward, uh, touchy-feely, feel-good feelings, and instead of looking at it as if this is in some real way the gospel message. Uh, framed another way, make other people's lives easier could be offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, mm-hmm. right? Things might be harder for me when I when I pull the extra five out of my wallet that I thought I was planning for something else, but really you need it more than I do. Right. Um, and if that's what it takes, this is an act of love, to will the good of the other. Well, and it's it's interesting. Like I was talking to somebody yesterday. So I do a lot of work um, in the the tabletop game industry. There's a lot of perceptions that in, you know, popular media and in common media that it's, it's not okay to be Christian or Catholic. Like the, a lot of times conservative uh, voices want to frame it as, you know, like the left is out to get any sort of faithful or orthodox voice. And the left wants to paint it as, you know, hey, uh, all, all conservatives are out to shut down and control everything. And the exact same way, the accusations uh, go back and forth from from side to side. And, and lots of times, though, when you're working in an industry that's a creative industry, you're surrounded by a lot of people who have more of a progressive ideology. And so there's a sense of how does my faith fit into this sometimes, or, or how do I, how do I, as somebody who wants to help people feel comfortable around me or know that I am a safe person, um, mainly um, in large part because I think that Jesus did that and I want to be like Jesus, how do I still make sure that I am presenting my faith in a consistent and clear way? without putting that on somebody, but creating opportunities for meaningful dialogue. And I'm always surprised week in and week out by some of the different different conversations that I get to have. Um, and I I was, I was ended up somebody last yesterday um, in a meeting, like I just, right before we went live for a stream, I had said something about ministry work and they messaged me like in the middle of the, the live stream. I didn't see it till afterwards. Like, ah, ministry, I knew it. Every time I hear your voice, I think that's the voice of somebody who's gotten up and prayed in front of people a whole lot, which is, <laughs> which is like a really interesting observation. Um, but uh, and this is a totally secular, like it's a live stream about um, uh, uh, an anthology of tabletop game adventures that was put together to support uh, racial justice last year in the middle of everything that was going on in our country. And, you know, but this individual is living down in Dallas, Texas area um, and is, uh, which is where I grew up and is um, involved, heavily involved in the games industry, but has a background in church planting and all this other stuff. And just, you know, we had a, we had a 30 minute text chat after this thing about the church and about what it means and how they've come so close to converting to Catholicism so many times. Their wife is Catholic, Uh, just a really beautiful dialogue and, um, you know, it was, it was a surprising moment for sure. But one of the things I said, it's, it's so hard for me to hear Catholics and Christians complain about having to live sacrificial lives or being viewed as, uh, as other than something, something other than 
the most predominant force in culture, because the reality is that's what Jesus promised us this would be like. Mm -hmm. Jesus didn't come and say, oh, you'll have tons of earthly power and the church will be loved and respected. He didn't say that, oh, like everyone will look at you and just think, oh, what a wonderful person, how great they are. He told us that they would hate us and that they would spit at us and that every horrible thing that had happened to him would happen to us. Like the entire proposition of what Jesus offers, um, you know, leading up to his death and eventual resurrection is that the world will hate us because the kingdom of God is aligned against the kingdom of the world. Um, well, I should say more properly, the, the kingdom of the world is aligned against the kingdom of God. Um, and we miss that. Mm -hmm. Everyone's missing that. And living sacrificially and making life easier for others is a big part of how we can own that and how we can live fully and freely in that moment of saying like, look, right now, what if my preference wasn't what was most important? What if what the good, the true, the beautiful, the loving thing that God desired in this moment was the main thing that we put the emphasis on? The main thing that we focused our, our energy, our devotion towards. What if all of our, our human action was leveraged towards the good that God desires to be manifest in this moment, not surely what my preference would be? And that's not to say that my preferences are bad. It's can we, are we able to step back and ask that question? At the end of the day, my preferences might be perfectly aligned with the gospel, but most oftentimes, because I'm a fallible human being, they're not. Well, and I would say one of the things that, that God has, has granted us just as humans is uh, a certain amount of healthy self-love. There is a desire for self-preservation that that is given by God, right? You know, you 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 get hurt, you you bring your hand in, you you dress it uh, so that it doesn't fester, it doesn't uh, become uh, a wound that that's worse than it has to be, right? There is a healthy self-love. But he then goes on to say, now love your neighbor as yourself, right? Take yeah. that, take that that's been granted to you by your nature and do that, which sometimes is against our nature and turn it outward. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the thing that I, you know, I, I was, I, I constantly feel pulled between, uh, this is a false tension. This tension doesn't exist, uh, but it's a, it's a feeling I have and that I can never seem to get away from. Um, between uh, mysticism and orthodoxy, um, by which I would mean the mystical tradition of the church as, as you know, um, expressed in, in the depths of the way that we pray that isn't concerned about worldly powers at all. And orthodoxy, which is also connected to orthopraxis, saying, how do we live the faith out properly? And for whatever reason in my brain, and I think this is true in a lot of people's brains, we have a hard time uh, making those two things square, um, you know, this desire that we have to live perfectly in unity, in unitive, in a unitive reality with God through prayer, um, and the desire to how, say, how do we go out and live this out in the world? And I actually think we can only go out and live it out in the world when we are united in prayer with God in the way that the mystery tradition of the church proposes. Um, and and I constantly, in the middle of that, will oftentimes find myself wondering, like. Do I love this person too much? Like, and when I say this person, what I mean is 
the sinner, right? The outcast, the, and when I say sinner, like, I mean, what we would commonly perceive as sinner, right? Like, obviously we all intellectually know we're all sinners, but we usually don't identify ourselves that way, even though we should a lot of the time. Um, and it makes me think about like, you know, Mark, second chapter of Mark, where Jesus is eating with the the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the sinners and the disciples are on the outside of that and, and unwilling to go. And there's a sense of, of self-righteousness that exceeds in that moment. Uh, like Jesus has entered into this space. Jesus is eating with them. He's in community with them. Uh, yet his disciples who are trying to follow him, who are, who are trying to learn from him are looking at him and shaking their heads and thinking like, this is inappropriate behavior. And those are bad people. We should only go eat with the good people. And, the reality is like Jesus loves both those standing on the outside at that moment in time uh, and those standing on the inside equally. And each he recognizes the sin in each of their hearts. Um, and neither one of those sets of sins invalidates a relationship with them in his mind. It doesn't mean he isn't going to call them to repentance. Um, it means that his love for them is equivalent. And I oftentimes find myself when I'm, when I'm seeking to love my neighbor, when I'm seeking to serve people who are far from the church, when I'm seeking to be in community with people who, um, who hate the church because it has hurt them or what they perceive as being the church has hurt them. And both of those two things happen, both what people perceive to be the church hurts them, but also sometimes the church hurts people. Um, when I'm seeking to be in community with them, sometimes I get concerned that I love them and care for them too much. And that's a really weird, bizarre impulse to have. And it comes from years of having to monitor my own behavior in regards to, is this going to be seen as okay as a church employee? Mm-hmm. And that's just weird. Like, it's a weird thing. Um, and we do it in church culture all the time. We we expect active parishioners or church employees or priests to be so sanitized and separate from those who are in most need of the gospel. And we have no idea how to mentally resolve the love or relationships or community that might form with those individuals outside the conforms, confines of a formal evangelization program. Mm-hmm. And so at least once a week, I find myself <laughs> worried that I'm a heretic because I love people in the way that Jesus tells us to love people. We're talking today with Tony Vicinda, who is the co-founder and uh, and CEO of a Catholic Beard Balm Company. It's catholicbalm.co. It's not .com, catholicbalm.co. Uh, Tony, my favorite has got to be a, a toss-up between uh, orthodoxy, and then you did a special release for a while, uh, Tilma, which I'm sure is my favorite, but it was a limited release, and so it's hard to get a hold of. I'm kind of I'm bummed about that. Well, you know, I have to. I need to do something. We were just talking about this before we go live. Talk about not knowing what you're going to have in the cupboard. I've got to. I've got to do some sort of special release this month. Maybe we'll make some Tilma. Well, now we're all going to have to go over to CatholicBalm.co and uh, and keep our eyes peeled for that special release this month. There's more to this conversation right after this as we talk about the practicalities of setting our own desires aside, our self-protectionism, so that we can make other people's lives easier. What does it look like for us to be authentic witnesses and missionary disciples? We're going to have that conversation further with Tony Vicenda. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. We'll be right back right after this.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. And we're, we're, uh, we're talking today in our discomfort. We're talking about making other people's lives easier, even if, maybe especially if, it makes our own lives just that much harder. Um, we don't like to think about that because we like to, uh, to look at the positive aspects of the gospel, of, of how God provides for all of our needs, without realizing that sometimes we are the provision for someone else's needs, whether that be material or whether that be spiritual. Uh, we're talking today with Tony Vicinda, who is the uh, the co-founder, CEO, and and you know you got there's like a master brewer if you're doing beer. What, what they, I, you know what, what the word we use, the, ter- the the title I've given myself because you can do that when you're in charge is head beard evangelist, <laughs> head beard evangelist uh, of Catholic Beard Balm, CatholicBalm.co. It's not a .com, it's .co. Um, let's talk a little bit about some practicals. You right before the break, you were saying this at least once a week, you wonder, do I love this person too much? Uh, I, I identify with this because as we're seeking to live out the gospel, there is this tension between knowing the fullness of truth, or at least having a glimpse of the fullness of truth and what God calls us to in terms of repentance. And also standing before a person who is so far away from repentance uh, that that we have to be realistic with what our role is in that moment. A lot of times we're like, well, I, I want to get that person all the way there today, but that's honestly the role of the Holy Spirit. And he does that through relationship and through trust. And trust can only be built if there is uh, vulnerability and if there is uh, the willingness to actually see the person in front of us as a person in front of us. Mm-hmm. So you've been involved in this for a long time without divulging any names or, or any personal details that would give these people away. Uh, tell me a story about an unlikely encounter. Maybe this was a divine appointment um, that, that flourished into a relationship that you happen to know the outcome of. Yeah. So I have, you know, I had a, I had a friend who, you know, we were in the middle of a, uh, a, a business meeting, just the two of us are on a project we're working on. This is in, in game stuff. So totally secular conversation. Um, I know this individual is, um, is not just non-religious. They're anti-religious. I know that they, uh, both for themselves as well as for others feel a lot of injury has been done to them by Christians. Um, and, and here's the thing at the end of the day, like if they feel like that has been the case, that is a valid reality that I have to engage. And I can't, I don't know the specifics of the circumstance, but even if I did, I probably wouldn't try to rationalize that with them because the reality is when somebody is having an emotional experience, a rational response doesn't do anything. Like yeah. it's, it's our kind of gut response, especially I think a lot of times as dads to be like, here's why you shouldn't be upset. And that doesn't do anything. <laughs> uh, if you, if you were looking for some future, future spousal advice, regardless of whether you are a man or a woman, uh, if you're, if your spouse or your significant other is having an emotional response, a rational, a, a rational answer for you does nothing to help that situation. Um, so, 
So I, I you know, I, I know this and they actually say like they bring up that they've been in this conversation with somebody else who uh, in this in this kind of play testing group, uh, which is where you kind of figure out if a game works or not. And and that individual is, is a is a Christian who um, was creating a political game, which, you know, is another kind of fraud area of conversation anyways. And uh, they felt like there were these very important things that they really wanted to include in it, which were basically things that were going to break down. Like in a in a place like if you're going to sit down and play this game, um, was just going to end up with people shouting and yelling at each other unless everybody in the room happened to agree on, on them. And so one of those things was was an issue around a pro like pro life versus pro choice, um, and and what that meant and what that signified. And so my friend was saying that they think that one of the best things about me is that I keep my Christianity just to myself, which is an interesting statement because. Obviously not. They know I'm a Christian, right? They they know that. What they meant was, I don't tell them how to live their life. This is a business associate who lives in a different state than me, who I own, mostly know from online interactions. So yes, I don't spend a lot of time telling them how they should live their life, even though they live their life in a very different way than I do with a very different set of moral behaviors. I kind of pointed out, like, my perspective actually is that my faith consumes every part of who I am. Like, the reason it seems so natural, so evident, so... So the reason that that this individual knew I was a Christian was because of everything I do orients around me being a Christian. What I'm not was a jerk. Like I wasn't a jerk. And so, um, you know, we, we go back and forth and, and, and they kept on bringing up just uh, the issue of pro-life versus pro-choice. And I said, you know, like this seems like it's a really, a really like, hard thing for you. Um, and like, I just want to say, like, I, I understand that we talked specifically about what the church's actual teaching on, on pro-life, on abortion, on end of life issues, on sustainable life issues. We actually like did a little bit of like, I was like, here's just FYI, some of the, the bigger things that a Christian should be taking into account. Um, and, and what it actually came down to was that my friend and his partner chose to have an abortion a few years ago. Um, and they chose it not easily and not gladfully. And uh, my friend is still hurt and upset by the loss of the life of a child. Um, now, the, the argument that prevails in their mind is bodily autonomy for their partner and their partner's health was a concern. And there are all the different, like on a human level, there's very much the ability to understand the concern that was being had, whether or not I would agree with the end decisions. But what I could identify was simply this, they were hurting. And so the response was simply, hey, like I can tell how much this has hurt you. And I want you to know more than anything that when the, the church proposes it's pro-life is that we propose you should never have to be hurting the way that you are right now. Like we would desire the life of that child so that you as a parent would never have to know or experience the anguish that you are currently experiencing. And, and there are all the other things we've already talked about that, that matter to that. But at the end of the day, I want you to know like that pain you have is actually what the teachings of the church and of, of Christ are trying to avoid. And you know, we, we talked a little bit more. We we went on with the rest of our entire meeting. That was, that was like at the very beginning of it, you know. Um, and uh, is, is this individual converted? No. But later on, they said, hey, I just wanted to let you know, 
I really appreciate being able to talk to you earlier. I really appreciate being able to share that stuff with you. And like, it was an amazing conversation and I really, really appreciate it. And I said something else and, and I said, you know, like I, I said, I, I, and I told them, I said, you know, here's the thing. I'm not, I'm not a bait and switch person. I'm not friends with you just so I get to have those conversations, but I am constantly waiting for people to ask the type of questions you were asking and want to have the kind of conversation that you were wanting to have. And it's the reason I feel like I am here on earth and in, and in relationship with a lot of people around me is so that I'm able to have those conversations. And their response was just simply like, amen, right? Which whether or not that's because they know I'm religious, but th there was this desire to, to respond to it in a religious capacity to say like, whether or not I believe I'm going to engage in a religious mode and mindset in my language right now and affirm the statement that you just made. And that's, a, that's a, there's a response there. You know, there's a response that, that happens that's a moment of transcendent presence of God in that conversation. And I didn't sit out to have that conversation that morning. It wasn't, you know, like I was like, oh, like, you know, can I, can I get somebody <laughs> to talk to me about, you know, the, the tragedy of, of, you know, some of their experiences or uh, a wound that they have from the church or the complexity of the church's moral teachings. None of those things were on my list for the day. Um, and if I had been thinking about any of those, I might've had any number of reasons to say, oh, like maybe I'll be too busy. You know, or, oh man, I've, you know, I, I didn't hit as much prayer time as I would have liked this morning before that, you know, like I could have come up with a million different reasons to try to not have that conversation uh, or to say like, hey, it would be easier if we didn't. But the reality is that that openness to saying this is why I'm here, like I'm here and waiting for these conversations is huge part of it. The other day, I got a chance to talk a little bit about identity with somebody who is um, uh, gender nonconforming, right? So they're, they're, they would identify as non-binary. And uh, we have a lot of conversations. We have a great relationship and rapport. Um, and there's a lot of, lot of conversations that I find myself in with, um, with trans, with non-binary individuals, people who are questioning gender identity. There's, there's phenomenal um, conversations that arise around all those things around identity. And so like, there was just a short moment of saying like, look, I, I just want people to know that like, here's how I understand identity. And I understand identity as something that's received in relationship from other people. Um, not as something that I choose for myself. And I said, I don't need anyone else to buy into that. But that is how I perceive it because there were some of these deeper questions that were coming up around like my willingness to navigate some of those conversations and the the way that I engage in some of those conversations, which for, they were they were from a secular standpoint, applauding my willingness to engage in honestly in dialogue around those things when a lot of people won't. And by a lot of people, they mean people in progressive culture still have a hard time talking about a lot of those issues around gender and gender identity because they're not always sure if what they're saying is right. And neither am I. And I also know that a lot of times people wouldn't agree with me, but I'm willing to sit and I'm willing to listen. And I'm willing to receive somebody. And I'm also willing to say, this is what I think and what I believe, but I'm also not saying that that is what you have to believe. It is just what I want to propose to you as my understanding of how identity is formed, which I know is different than yours. Tell me what yours is also, right? Um, Jesus had this really great advantage where he just knew, <laughs> just knew what to do. Like I, as a human being, have to, have to figure it out. That means I have to listen. I have to ask questions. I have to seek understanding. I have to sit with people. Um, and I don't get to just automatically read the depths of their heart 
most of the time. Um, you know, every once in a while, the Holy Spirit gives me a little bit of insight, but most of the time it just comes through asking questions, through sitting, through being with people. Mm-hmm. St. Pope John Paul II um, often said, we don't impose our belief. We propose the truth, and the truth imposes itself. We mm-hmm. propose the truth, the truth imposes itself. I think so often we feel like we have to uh, to firmly and clearly uh, articulate all the points of the faith uh, and get everyone to come along to our view of it, right? We've got to be persuasive. And the truth is we just have to be authentic, and the Holy Spirit does all of the persuading. And it may not happen in this conversation. Today may be a seed that says, you know what? I've had bad experiences with Christians my whole life until today. And so now I'm willing to listen a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, if, if at the end of the day, if at the end of my life, um, I did nothing else. If I, if, I never, if I never created a moment for somebody to open themselves up to God for the first time, or if I never created the opportunity for somebody to go deeper in faith. I, I don't think either of those things are true, but if any of those things had never happened, um, if there were just a bunch of people who are like, I hated Christians until I met Tony, and then I, I got to see what a Christian was all about. Um, if they said, I looked at the way that Tony loved me, and that made me wonder or ask the question, why is this person able to love me this way when I feel like other people have? And if I'm able to do those things as a way to point towards Christ, not to point towards myself, but to point beyond, at the end of the day, um, I'll die happily and hope to be ushered into heaven uh, for that reason. I think I've, I think I've done some of the other things, but at the end of the day, like as somebody who desires to go out to the fringes and the edges and the people who are not only far from God, but who think that they hate God or even worse that God hates them. Um, I'm able to go to those people as an envoy of the love of Christ. um, I'm pretty happy with that. Mm -hmm. Is it always easy? It's never easy. (laughs) It's, 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 uh, I always like to say this, like, uh, this is true for ministry, but it's true for for this type of ministry specifically. Um, it is not it is not uh, complex, but it is not easy. Uh, it is it is simple to love someone. It is hard to love someone. Um, that's it. Tony, it's always a pleasure to have you on. I I always gain so much from your insight, uh, but I also gain so much from. <laughs> from Catholic Beard Balm, from catholicbalm.co. If someone were to go right now to catholicbalm.co, what would they find? Yeah, so if you go to catholicbalm.co, you're going to find beard balms, lotion bars, lip balms, and signature uh, solid perfumes that are all inspired by the tradition of the church. Um, So that might be a beard balm inspired by the scent of aroma. It might be a lotion bar inspired by St. Philomena uh, and a a devotion to her. It might be a solid cologne uh, called Memento Mori that's actually just when you put it on, you can help remind yourself and say a short prayer reminding you that you're going to die one day uh, and then to be be ushered into eternity. So everything that we make is handmade, all natural, and is designed to communicate some aspect of the faith as well as 
open up a possibility for a conversation around evangelization. When somebody asks what that smell is, uh, comments on how good you smell, comments on how good your beard looks or, or anything like that. The ability to say, oh, like I have this great, this great balm from Catholic Balm Care, or it's, hey, it's called Memento Mori. Uh, when I put it on, it's just a reflection on what life right now looks like and what life looks like on the other side of eternity and being able to enter into those conversations in simple ways and create everyday reminders of our universal call to holiness. Tony, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. If you missed any part of my conversation with Tony Vicinda or you want to go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. You can also be a part of our Patreon community, which helps keep us on the air and in return get extra segments. We've got an extra segment of about 10 minutes with Tony this week. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link in the top right-hand corner of the page to learn more. Now let's turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read scripture in light of church teaching, putting the magisterium at your fingertips. Learn more at verbum.com. Today's reading from scripture comes from the letter of St. Paul to the Philippians. But whatever gains I had, these I have come to consider a loss because of Christ. More than that, I even consider everything as a loss because of the supreme good of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have accepted the loss of all things, and I consider them so much rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having any righteousness of my own based on the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ— the righteousness from God depending on faith, to know him and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by being conformed to his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It is not that I have already taken hold of it or have already attained perfect maturity, but I continue my pursuit in hope that I may possess it, since I have indeed been taken possession of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I, for my part, do not consider myself to have taken possession. Just one thing, forgetting what lies behind, but straining forward to what lies ahead, I continue my pursuit toward the goal, the prize of God's upward calling in Christ Jesus. That reading comes from the letter of St. Paul to the Philippians. And here, let's come back to this theme, all of the things that we have that we can hold in our hands, that we can possess, all of these things are garbage. They're rubbish. They're things to be let go of. Uh, This comes back to that question of, well, if I give in radical hospitality, will I have enough left for myself? Yes, because the things that we have are rubbish. They're garbage. And Christ will provide for all of our needs according to his riches in glory. This is the promise that we have It just takes a little bit of faith. And it takes the eyes of faith to see that the things that we possess really are not that amazing after all. But the things to which we're called, those things calling us to share the person and the love of Christ, those things are our everlasting glory. Our reading from church history today comes from from tomorrow's feast, from the feast of St. Benedict Abbot. And this reading comes from the Holy Rule of St. Benedict. Whenever you begin any good work, 
you should first of all make a most pressing appeal to Christ our Lord, to bring it to perfection, that he who has honored us by counting us among his children may never be grieved by our evil deeds. For we must always serve him with the good things he has given us in such a way that he may never, as an angry father disinherits his sons or even a master who inspires fear, grow impatient with our sins and and consign us to everlasting punishment like wicked servants who would not follow him to glory. So, we should at long last rouse ourselves, prompted by the words of Scripture. Now is the time for us to rise from sleep. Our eyes should be open to the God-given light, and we should listen in wonderment to the message of the divine voice as it daily cries out, Today, If you shall hear his voice, harden not your hearts. And again, if anyone has ears to hear, let him listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And what does the Spirit say? Come, my sons, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Hurry while you have the light of life, so that death's darkness may not overtake you. And the Lord, as he seeks the one who will do his work among the throng of people to whom he makes that appeal, says again, Which of you wants to live to the full, who loves long life and enjoyment of prosperity? And if, when you hear this, you say, I do, God says to you, If you desire true and everlasting life, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And when you have done these things, my eyes will be upon you and my ears will be attentive to your prayers. And before you call upon my name, I shall say to you, Behold, I am here. What could be more delightful, dearest brothers, than the voice of our Lord's invitation to us? In his loving kindness, he reveals to us the way of life. And so, girded with faith and by the performance of good works, let us follow in his paths by the guidance of the gospel. Then we shall deserve to see him who has called us into his kingdom. If we wish to attain a dwelling place in his kingdom, we shall not reach it unless we hasten there by our good deeds. Just as there exists an evil fervor, a bitter spirit, which divides us from God and leads us to hell, so there is a good fervor, which sets us apart from evil inclinations and leads us toward God and eternal life. Monks should put this fervor into practice with an overflowing love. That is, they should surpass each other in mutual esteem, accept their weaknesses, either of body or of behavior, with utmost patience, and vie with each other in in acceding to requests. No one should follow what he considers to be good for himself, but rather what seems good for another. They should display brotherly love in a chaste manner, fear God in a spirit of love, revere their abbot with a genuine and submissive affection. Let them put Christ before all else. And may he lead us all to everlasting life. That reading again comes from the holy rule of St. Benedict, whose feast we celebrate tomorrow. 
And here I, I find so much richness for the, the lay vocation in the rule of St. Benedict. I love the rule of St. Benedict. And we're not all monks. We can't all be monks, but we can all live by some of these monastic principles. And here, again, he repeats the words uh, that, that we hear Paul say in Romans, look not to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Look not to the thing that looks good for yourself, but rather what seems good for another. And as Tony said earlier in the episode, loving another person is so simple, but it is so difficult. There aren't many components to it. Uh, The components are laying down your own will, laying down your own life, and lifting up the life of another. To will the good of the other person, whether that person be in your household, whether that be a person who shares uh, a a similar vocation, as it is in the case of uh, the holy rule of St. Benedict with the monks, or whether it be with people who whom God loves, who are out in the world, who may not yet understand or reciprocate that love, these two, we can put this into practice to accept uh, weaknesses, either of body or of behavior, with the utmost patience, and vie in acceding to requests. This is the kind of relationship, this kind of compassion that is irresistible. It's what what drew people to the church uh, throughout the centuries, and it's something that will be just as effective today as it was then, because not because of our own efforts, but because God is always in the midst of love. Uh, God is love, and where charity and love prevail, there God is ever found. And so if we had homework this week, uh, it would be that prayer of surrender, asking the Holy Spirit to set specific divine appointments in your day to give you the eyes to see the people that he is bringing into your path for the sake of you hearing and meeting and joining and reflecting the love of God into their life. This is the homework, to pray that prayer of surrender to say, God, send people in, help me to recognize them, and help me to be obedient to your voice in the midst of this. Help me to make someone else's life easier, even if it seems that it would make my life indeterminably more difficult, to offer myself as a living sacrifice for the sake of God's kingdom, that we would be an answer to that prayer that we pray every week. Our Father in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we do that, when we have that prayer, God, bring me divine appointments, help me to be ready to be a witness for you, help me to recognize the people that you're bringing into my life. God always answers those prayers. And so when he does, I want you to come over and tell me all about it on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handle's at Outside the Walls. Just give me a tag. Let me know uh, that that you prayed that prayer this week and let me know how God answered that prayer uh, of surrender, that prayer of invitation. Uh, 
Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. This week's show is brought to you by Phil and Tina Parker and all of those who support the show through Patreon. To learn more about our Patreon support community, go to OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that top link in the top right-hand corner and join their numbers. And until next week, let nothing disturb you. Let nothing affright you. All things are passing, but God is unchanging. Patience obtains all things, and who has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices.